Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. You know, decades ago, we found that cigarette smoking was bad for your health, and we've known that we've encouraged people to stop smoking cigarettes quite extensively in the medical profession. But not everybody understands the reasons why. And with the advent of e-cigarettes that has led to a new verb, vaping, there are some concerns about how that may affect the health of our youth and also those people who use that particular type of electronic cigarette on a fairly regular basis. Here to explain why smoking is bad and what we should really be doing to to help stop that. I am joined in the studio by my guest today, Dr. Nicholas Nelkin from Kaiser Permanente. He's a vascular surgeon and the physician champion for smoking cessation. So thank you for joining me today. You're welcome. I like that. You're the champion of smoking cessation. Now, despite the fact that it really wasn't admitted or publicly acknowledged for many years. When did we first find out that smoking cigarettes was bad for us? Well, we've known this really for a very long time. Uh, It turns out the first uh, really official declaration was the 1964 Surgeon General Report, which is a very, very extensive document. It's quite long, and it's very accurate even to this day. Uh, since that time, it's been republished on uh, uh, every couple of years. So there is a long history of this in the United States. It's funny because I'll occasionally come across a patient that says to me, although not anymore, I remember maybe about 10 or 15 years ago, I would say, you know, smoking cigarettes isn't good for you. You really should stop. And they'd be like, yeah, nobody's ever told me that before. And they weren't kidding. And they're like, no doctor has ever told me. And I'm like, well, now you can't say that because I just told you, you shouldn't do that. So why do we get so concerned about people who smoke cigarettes? What is it in cigarettes that becomes such a problem? Well, uh, cigarettes are a very complex item. So when you burn a cigarette, you create combustion. It burns. Within that combustion are about 5,000 to 7,000 different components. Of that, about 4,000 are somewhat poisonous or toxic in some way, and about 20 of those are extremely toxic. So those get taken in through your lungs. Lungs are incredibly wonderful devices that are able to dissolve pretty much anything that goes into them and put them into the bloodstream. And so it's quite obvious to most people why the lungs are involved in reactions to smoking. Um, The other medical problems associated with, with smoking, people don't really understand. But if you think about the circulation as taking the blood everywhere in the body, and it does so in just a couple of minutes, all of these toxins are taken everywhere in your body and they affect different organ systems in different ways. So as a vascular surgeon, you've seen some pretty significant effects as you handle those blood vessels that are taking all the blood to all these different organs. What are some of the things that you would see directly when you were doing surgery for people who you knew were smokers? Could you tell by looking at their arteries who was and who wasn't? I can tell by looking at their x-rays who is and who isn't. Um, uh, There are different patterns of uh, uh, smoking-related versus non-smoking-related vascular disease. And the two uh, big problems that we deal with in vascular surgery are smoking, which is about half our business, and about and diabetes, which is about the other half, and then a number of more unusual problems. So if we could cure diabetes and stop everyone from smoking, you, you'd have a lot of free time on your hands. 
Uh, I certainly would, yes. Well, and to do that, we still need to make sure we can figure out how to get people to stop using uh, cigarettes as a form of activity that can cause all these toxic effects on the body. Now, you mentioned it can affect pretty much every organ. So if you name an organ, it will have some negative effect on that organ, whether or not it's something we commonly are associated with. Like, for example, COPD or emphysema is often seen to be a consequence of considerable years of smoking as lung cancer, in some cases, oral cancers in your mouth and esophageal cancer. But it can also affect things like You know, your heart smoking has negative consequences to the cardiovascular system, to the kidneys. I can't think of an organ that it doesn't affect. Uh, I can't think of one either. And in fact, almost all cancers um, are affected by uh, cigarettes as well. And you would think that the different mechanisms of actions of all different cancers are quite different from one another. And yet cigarettes affect almost all of them. And promote the growth or promote increase in growth and or uh, spread, et cetera. That's correct. Okay, so we know we're clear. You don't want to smoke cigarettes. But, you know, very often patients will will say they want to quit, and then we offer them different options. What are some of those options, and how successful are they? Uh, Smoking is very addictive, and quitting is very hard to do. Um, The average quit attempt for somebody who wants to go what's called cold turkey is about 5% uh, success rate. Um, It turns out that most people who have successfully quit smoking have quit cold turkey. It's just that they've done it many times. Um, The other uh, ways to quit smoking or the ones that are effective are medications, and they're the nicotine-based medications, uh, as well as there's a medication called bupropion, which is also an antidepressant, but it doesn't work in that same way. It's not an antidepressant which makes you want to quit smoking because other antidepressants apparently don't work very well. And then uh, you may have heard about varenicline, otherwise known as Chantix, which has a very interesting mechanism of action. It um, both stimulates and blocks uh, some of the nicotine receptors. So there's medications. And there's also, you know, I always found it interesting, there's nicotine replacement. So, you know, patients will certainly ask, why are you giving me nicotine to help me stop using a product that contains nicotine? So in addition to some of the counseling and medications, why would nicotine replacement have any beneficial effect? Well, so the toxicity of cigarettes themselves, if we focus on combustible cigarettes, and I kind of like the fact that they're now being called combustible cigarettes because it really identifies the problem, is that the nicotine is what makes you want to smoke. It also is, in a negative way, uh, by the very same mechanism, what makes um, addiction happen. And yet, most of the toxic effects of cigarettes have to do with the combustibles, and that generally has nothing to do with the nicotine itself. And so the traditional thinking was, and I would like to point out that it's important to have counseling along with the medication that you have because that greatly increases the effectiveness of whatever medication you take. But focusing again on uh, nicotine itself, uh, the idea is that the nicotine is what you are craving. So why don't you just get the nicotine and take the combustibles away and then you work on the nicotine later? And that's been quite effective. So the effectiveness of a good program is anywhere between 15 to 30 percent quit rate depending upon how you look and uh, how, how you deal with the data. Now, if you think about that, uh, that's way better than 5% cold turkey. But 
in total numbers, it's not a very good number. So this is a, is a very difficult problem to manage. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Nicholas Nelkin. He is a vascular surgeon and physician champion for smoking cessation from Kaiser Permanente. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the other ways that people have found to quit smoking and where do e-cigarettes fit into the mix. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Nicholas Nelkin from Kaiser Permanente, vascular surgeon and physician champion for smoking cessation. I just like that term champion because you're really out there to try and help people have, truthfully, better blood vessels and a better life as a result of not having to have all these complications from smoking combustibles. We'll be very particular in how we say it and the the negative effects on the body. So we've talked about the cold turkey, about 5% uh, quit success rate, but most people who do have tried it that fashion and tried that multiple times. You've mentioned that with some of the counseling efforts in combination with medication, and you've named a few of those, that it's about 30% or so if you're lucky. Still not a huge uh, success rate, but there are some things that can make it more successful, like having insurance coverage for certain products and maybe not having a copay. Because when you think about it, if you can keep yourself healthy, that's kind of saving insurance companies anyway. So it seemed to make sense that they would want to be involved in helping to promote this, not having copays or not having any other type of block from getting access to these medications and counseling. Does that happen often? Well, what has been very interesting in this whole process for me is that Kaiser Permanente was getting pressure from outside employers because Kaiser uh, makes um, uh, large contracts with employers, and we were getting pressure from employers early on in my tenure uh, to actually uh, eliminate co-pays and uh, be a little bit more aggressive about smoking cessation because it turns out that people are more effective workers when they're not smoking. So not only does it decrease absenteeism, but it also increases it decreases something called presenteeism, which um, means you're at work, but you're not really doing anything. Or you're going for smoking breaks all the time. Exactly. Okay. So it sounds that's an interesting concept that the employers were actually pressuring the health insurer to say, hey, we really want to have you guys focus on this because this is important to us. And then, you know, as, as physicians, of course, we would be excited that someone would be able to do something that would be promoting their own health status. So that, that to me is like a win-win. Now, are we able to engage the patients in this process? Are they often as willing when you see folks who you know are smokers do they seem to be willing to consider quitting or do they kind of do you do you tap into sort of some level of motivation to get them excited about it? I mean by the time they see you it's kind of a problem. Well, that's exactly right. And so uh, there's this concept um, called a teachable moment and usually when they're in my office uh, they're having a teachable moment. So there are all kinds of things that I deal with, which isn't the topic of this particular show, but people are often in crisis when they see me, and they do pay attention. It doesn't mean that they always quit. Um, Like I said, the success... Uh, uh, the success rates are somewhere between 15 and 30 percent, even in a good program. But people are willing to listen. turns out that at 
Kaiser, our most successful person at getting people into our program, is the person who does the intake at the preoperative uh, medicine clinic where they look at people just before their operation and, and talks to them about the various things that they can do to avoid potentially having uh, more operations in the future. Wow, that is a very optimal time for that teachable moment you talk about. Yeah. You're about to have surgery. If you don't want to do this again, here's one of the ways you can help yourself. And it really is motivational for people who are in that state where they really don't want to have to go down this road again. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's done for the best of the health of the individual. So now where do e-cigarettes fit into all of this? You know, originally it seemed like they were developed to help people who want to quit smoking uh, combustibles or smoking cigarettes. And yet that's not really the position that they've taken in the market these days. Can e-cigarettes help people to stop smoking cigarettes? And if so, is that a good thing? Well, this is a very big topic, and it uh, just goes to show that um, you can know a lot about something and have absolutely no idea where society is going. So what's happened is in the last four or five years, e-cigarettes have exploded um, into our culture, and they're being used in all kinds of various different ways, and there are various different ways of looking at it. And even in the medical community, there's a lot of variability in thinking. There's some people who think that e-cigarettes should disappear completely because um, they promote smoking of regular cigarettes, and they have all kinds of health consequences. And there are other people who think that, well, they may be a um, one of many possible ways to help people quit smoking. And the truth is, in my opinion, both are correct um, in in different ways. And so what you have to do with any complex situation is look at it uh, specifically at the particular groups at risk that you're worried about. So um, in the last couple of years, um, not only has the sale of e-cigarettes expanded greatly, but if you look online, you can find blogs of people who highly support e-cigarettes who talk about regular combustible cigarettes as being a dirty habit and various different other epithets. Um, the, uh, it has become popular in schools, unfortunately, and we uh, should talk about this in just a minute because it's very important. But about 40 percent of high school students who vape have never smoked a cigarette. That's very different than people in my age group. Um, about 1 percent of the people who vape in my age group have never smoked a cigarette before. So it's almost stratified by age and, and exposure who might have adopted this as a habit without having that potential future to smoke cigarettes. So for those people who are in the age cohort, let's just kind of split everybody up and feel good about ourselves. Those of us who are over 45, I'm in that group. I think you might be in that group. I am. Would, would that be the group who, if you were smoking combustible cigarettes – and you decided to quit. Could vaping help you? Uh, it can. The if results used are variable. Yeah. And in fact, there is a recent article this month in the New England Journal of Medicine talking about that. It's from England. And in fact, uh, vaping in their particular study, and I have to point out that there is a lot of literature and there is a lot of variability in results, and the devil is in the details. I bring up the New England Journal of Medicine because it's a highly respected journal with a lot of peer review. And what they found was that um, uh, vaping was about twice as successful as nicotine replacement therapy. 
that's an amazing statistic. Although vaping was only 18% successful and nicotine replacement therapy 9%, the flip side of that was at the end of one year, about 80% of the vapors were still vaping and only 6% of the people on nicotine replacement therapy were still using those medications. So there is obviously a downside to this. Interesting. So it might just be pleasurable enough that people don't want to stop it. Well, it's uh, very pleasurable. Uh, that's the whole point of nicotine. Uh, nicotine stimulates a large class of receptors in the brain um, called nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, uh, which are normally stimulated by a different substance called acetylcholine. And so it directly affects these um, receptors and makes a whole lot of changes, uh, some of which you can feel and many of which you can't. So because of this stimulation of receptors, you do get some kind of a positive feeling about it. And then I think there's also the idea that sometimes when people develop a habit, it's really hard to just change their habit if it's something that they do every day. So there's a whole other element, sort of the psychological component of it as well. So how about for that group of folks who are younger, on the younger age of the spectrum, and they're sort of high school, middle school, young adults, those are the ones we're finding are choosing vaping and they don't necessarily progress on to smoking cigarettes. How is that something that we need to curtail, or is it? Well, for the traditional combustible cigarette user who wants to quit, it was always said that nicotine was the lesser of the evils. If you look at youth, that may not be true. So starting with the fetus, Nicotine crosses the placenta. Uh, because these nicotinic acetylcholine receptors are very broadly um, distributed within the fetus, it can affect growth of all kinds of different uh, uh, substrates, including um, uh, parts of the brain. Um, it negatively affects uh, brain development in young children. Uh, it has a lot of effects on behavior and ability to concentrate. And all of these things are amplified until you get to be about 25 years old when the whole functioning of the brain begins to resemble that of an adult. So it's interesting because the laws say 21 years old, but in fact this development stops at about 25 years old. So we're legalizing it for people who probably shouldn't even consider it at that point, Well, if um, at all, ever. It's an interesting problem because it gets into the whole concept of free will and what you want to do with your life, right? And uh, it also has to do with the role of uh, regulatory bodies and what their role in society are, and this becomes very complicated. I would say that giving addictive, and make no mistake, Nicotine is extremely addictive because it stimulates a lot of areas in the brain, which then decrease the production of these receptors as a result of this constant stimulation. And then when you stop it, um, uh, nicotine withdrawal can be, extremely, can be extremely difficult. So giving addictive substances to children does not pass the sniff test. It just doesn't. Number two, pregnant women should not vape. 
because anything that crosses the placenta and affects development in fetuses, that also definitely does not pass the sniff test. After that, we get into more gray areas. But I think we're seeing a particularly interesting problem in high schools right now where um, 42% of Hawaii high schoolers have tried to vape at one point or another, and about 25% of them have done so within the last 30 days. Amazing statistics. When you say it doesn't pass the sniff test, I'll tell you, it's starting to stink. Okay, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Nicholas Nelkin from Kaiser Permanente, vascular surgeon, physician champion for smoking cessation. And we will be right back after this quick break and talk more about those statistics and what should we do about vaping and how can we stop people from being affected by something that truly is an addictive substance that we're selling and allowing folks to use that does have health consequences. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with my physician champion for smoking cessation, vascular surgeon Dr. Nicholas Nelkin from Kaiser Permanente. And right before the break, we were talking about statistics on Hawaii high schoolers that, in fact, looking at the use of vaping over the course of, you know, for a lot of our schools, we found that over 40% of students have are regular vapors. And in fact, you mentioned over 25% of those within the last 30 days. So it's kind of become sort of something that, and I don't want to put it this way because I, I don't want it to be seen that way, but it sounds like something that there might be a lot of peer pressure to do or somebody who says, this is cool. Do you want to try it? Some of those things that might occur in school that we don't necessarily think are the most appropriate, but seem to happen anyway. Is that, is that sort of what we're seeing? Uh, I, I can only guess, but I'm sure, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure this is the situation among many people, but of course this is not the first generation that's had to deal with peer pressure. Um, the problem is the combination of peer pressure exposure to a very addictive substance. Um, here's another interesting figure. I heard that 8% of high schoolers want to quit, but can't. Interesting. I mean, that's an amazing number. Wow. I mean, almost one in 10 yeah. wish they could stop vaping. I wonder what the motivation is. I mean, when let's talk first. Are there negative consequences to vaping that would make someone need to quit? It is still early enough in the research curve on this particular problem that we don't know enough to say definitively. But we do know that nicotine has cognitive effects. It has mood effects. It actually has effects on obesity. Um, there are other problems, which is if you leave the juice lying around and it gets consumed by an animal or a baby, it can poison them and it can actually kill them. Um, one of the pods has about 50 milligrams of uh, nicotine in it. Um, a cigarette delivers about a milligram each, so that's about the same as 50 cigarettes. That's actually a tremendous amount of, a tremendous amount of nicotine. In that small little device. That's, that's exactly right. 
So there are um, – you can go on blogs and you can find uh, all kinds of various different delivery systems that are attempting to maximize the delivery. And there are people that are getting higher and higher doses of nicotine delivery that actually previously weren't seen in cigarettes. So we are entering a brave new world of nicotine delivery, but it's much more purely nicotine. Despite the fact that there are some impurities that have caused problems in the past, they are, those impurities are not as important as they are with old-fashioned combustible cigarettes. Do you get the same passive smoke exposure that you would with the old-fashioned cigarettes? Um, probably not. The delivery of nicotine to the passive smoker is pretty much the same. The delivery of the combustibles obviously isn't. But it's interesting to note, people say, well, gosh, I, I mean, really, are you really getting that much uh, smoke delivery um, with secondhand smoke? Let's talk about combustible cigarettes for one second. It turns out that one cigarette a day is enough to create cardiovascular disease. Four cigarettes a day is not able to be distinguished from a pack a day in terms of its effects on the cardiovascular system. That's how powerful smoke is for this particular disease process, in other words, cardiovascular disease. So if the question is, okay, if one, one cigarette a day can do this, can working in an environment where I'm getting passive smoke affect my cardiovascular system? And the answer is absolutely it can. And in this case, if you smoke cigarettes, we do know that Passive exposure to smoke is a problem in households. In you know, they've banned it in certain restaurants, and they banned it in other places. Uh, you can't smoke at a hospital. You have to be a certain number of feet away from buildings. So, knowing that about cigarettes, we know that we have made some restrictions. We don't seem to have the same restrictions for everyone with vaping, but we're getting close to that. Even though there may not be that same secondhand smoke exposure, you know, I've walked past people, and all of a sudden, like a cloud of vapor is all around them, and I'm like. Oh, what, why am I why am I smelling strawberry in the air? And that's that's what it is. So there might be some exposure, but certainly not anywhere to the same extent as there would be with cigarettes or combustibles. Well, the question has come up: Should we regulate them the same way that we uh, regulate cigarettes? My opinion and the opinion of a lot of people is that the answer is yes for a couple of reasons. Number one, we don't actually know the health trajectory. Number two, if we overly complexify these rules, it becomes problematic. And um, the addiction potential is the same between them. So I don't have a problem with lumping them all together in terms of the restrictions. And now it's not legal for people under the age of 21 to have vaping equipment or, or vape juice. Um, uh, that is fairly new. As, as it should be, I think, because I think that's a huge concern and there are certainly – some issues with exposure. And you mentioned that the brain may change the development around age 25, but at 21, you still have that potential to have some of that development potentially thwarted by the use of vaping. So how can people quit vaping? You mentioned that 8% of high schoolers want to. What can they do? Uh, that's a very interesting and mostly unexplored problem because what you have is an addiction to a pure uh, addictive um, uh, uh, source. So nicotine replacement therapy is obviously not going to work for that particular problem unless it's all about habit, uh, in which case uh, you can follow the prescribed ways of doing that. Um, I am 
not certain that the evidence with bupropion and Chantix is that developed with respect to vaping. So uh, there are um, smoking cessation programs that involve counseling, and I think that would be uh, very helpful. Well, uh, what they do is they help you set up your house for success. Um, they help answer questions that you might have. Uh, they kind of level set for you, and they offer you a number of visits. It really depends upon the particular program. Um, the program in uh, Hawaii is um, the uh, 1-800-QUIT-NOW, which uh, I would highly suggest people um, utilize if they can. Well, and there's a lot of resources out there because, like you mentioned, it's going to be hard when you have a highly addictive substance to try and avoid continued exposure. It's almost like you have to go on sort of like that. I just have to do this less kind of self-control, which we know is not optimal for addictive substances of that degree. I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. That's Dr. Nicholas Nelkin from Kaiser Permanente, vascular surgeon and physician champion of smoking cessation. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on our podcast. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. See you next week. Mm -hmm. 